Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour Aerospace uh, News Update. I'm Blaine Curcio and I'm joined by my co-host John DeVille. Uh, this week is a rather slow week because of the Golden Week holiday, which is the Chinese National Day combined this year with the Mid-Autumn Festival. Uh, but we've still had some interesting events going on during the course of the week. Uh, we had a communication satellite reach its position in geostationary orbit. Uh, we have a few updates on some upcoming conferences. Uh, but first, John is going to tell us about a round of funding from one of China's uh, commercial launch companies. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. John, go ahead, take it away. Thanks, Blaine, and hello to our listeners. Um, so, yeah, my first piece of news this week is going to be about the company OneSpace and their C round of funding. So, early in September, they raised a certain amount of money, and this is quite big news actually for the company because the last time they raised money was back in 2018. And according to the news, the investors are Liangzheng Investment Fund, uh, Junction Investment, HIT Robotics and Huijin Capital. And this is also um, an interesting piece of information because when you look at the first three that I mentioned, these are companies, investors that had already invested in the company uh, prior to 2020. So it shows renewed confidence into uh, into OneSpace. And maybe just some quick background onto OneSpace. OneSpace is, uh, is one of the earlier new space companies in, in China. They were founded in August 2015. And they were interesting for two reasons. Um, the first one being that they, among the launch companies, they were one of the only ones that went specifically for solid rocket propulsion, while the other ones had um, at least some developments in liquid propulsion. And the other reason was because um, the founder, Xu Chang, was only 30 years old when he had founded the company back in August 2015. And so thus he was often called in the media the local um, you know, Chinese version of Elon Musk, although I feel that you know that comparison comes up maybe more than necessary sometimes in China. Yeah. Um, so they were one of the rising stars in launch in China. They had launched first their um, suborbital rocket, the OSX, in March 2018, and then they launched it again successfully in September 2018. But in March 2019, they failed to launch their OSM rocket um, into orbit. And Things went downhill, basically, from there. Um, there were rumors of a lot of the core technical teams disbanding. And um, we just overall had very, very little news ever since then on the company. There were no further tests and launches. Um, so this new round of funding is really quite big news because it shows that, you know, OneSpace is not only still alive, but they're really back in the game with the same investors. Um and maybe one last thing that I would like to add on one space is that um, so I went a little bit on their website and their, um, you know, their WeChat publications and just PR. And you realize that today they have three business units. You have the first one, which is, um, um, you know, their launch services. So they build rockets and they launch uh, payloads, although this is more, I think, of a legacy business unit because I don't think they've they've done anything with uh, rocket launch uh, lately. But on the other hand, you have two new business units, which is um, one is, um, uh, well, what they call the, um, they call it the engine heart. So basically what, what, what they're selling is solid rocket motors directly to clients. And there's a third business unit, which is launch vehicle electronics. 
So we have control systems, you have RF modules, um, you have uh, power supply units and dis distribution systems, um, notably with a subsidiary called OneSpace Electronics in Shenzhen. So what is interesting here is you see that there is a company, a new space company in China um, that is perhaps in one of the more capital intensive uh, verticals, such as launch services, and that for various reasons, maybe increasing barriers to this um, this subvertical is moving to a little bit more to the upstream um, to have less final financial pressure and I guess have a, you know a more a faster positive cash flow and that is quite representative of what is going on um, recently in in Chinese new space for some of these more capital intensive um, verticals. So yeah, that's that's one space this week. I have a couple of, of thoughts on this, and then we can uh, move into the, the next uh, news update of the week. But with OneSpace, I think um, one of the interesting um, things that OneSpace is really indicative of is the involvement of provincial governments uh, with you know in, in fostering this commercial space ecosystem. So OneSpace originally was founded in Beijing, and about three years ago, or possibly two years ago, they moved their headquarters to Chongqing, and, and Chongqing being a, a very large city in southwestern China. And uh, in this round of funding, one of the found uh, one of the the funds that was participating is the Liangjiang Group, which is uh, a a sort of a wholly owned investment fund of the Liangjiang New Area of Chongqing. So basically, you have um, a municipal government providing a lot of support to the company in terms of um, funding and also in terms of probably land or other kind of tax incentives, this sort of thing, and. Um, I suppose it, in this particular case, it's also noteworthy that Beijing, because it's such a, a big city already, there's so many companies, there's so much government, um, the, the local government there is not necessarily willing to provide so many incentives for these companies, uh, unless you're just like a really, really big company or really important industry or something like this. And so in the case of OneSpace, uh, they, they moved their headquarters to Chongqing, which is uh, a big city, but but not nearly you know as, as big as Beijing in terms of the sort of... Um, the, the diversity of the economy, and they found better opportunities there in terms of local support. So um, yeah, just an interesting example of that trend, which um, we, we have actually highlighted in a, a recent uh, paper that John and I both contributed to uh, for the SB, which we will put in the show notes. Um, so moving on to the next topic of conversation, the AppStar 6D satellite, uh, which is a geostationary communications satellite, reached its orbital slot at 134 degrees east this week or last week, as it were. Um, the satellite is operated by uh, APT Mobile Satcom of Shenzhen, which is a subsidiary of APT Satellite, of, which is a Hong Kong company that is itself a partial subsidiary of China Satcom. So it's an interesting um, <clears throat> kind of state-owned uh, commercial company that operates this AppStar 6D satellite. And the satellite is an interesting business case in the sense that it's a large uh, HTS payload. So it's about, I think, 30, 40 gigabits per second of, of KU band HTS capacity that is primarily targeting mobility applications. So it, they had a couple of, of pre-launch contracts with uh, Panasonic and also with GoGo for uh, in-flight connectivity type capacity in Asia Pacific. And this represented a significant part of the satellite's capacity. And this is interesting because, of course, uh, with coronavirus, air travel has has fallen off a cliff. And uh, in fact, there's also a lot of restructuring going on amongst these IFC service provider companies. And so you have um, a rather more uncertain situation than APT Mobile Satcom would have hoped for uh, when planning the satellite. 
but nonetheless, here we are. And the satellite, it was launched a couple of months ago, and again, now it's reached its, its uh, orbital slot, which is now kind of, it's, it's representing the satellite being brought into service, essentially. Um, and yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, satellite to, to watch. And I, I, being, you know, being in Hong Kong and having known APT Satellite, the, the sort of parent company of this, this satellite uh, operator, uh, for some time, I, I do wish them good luck with, with the satellite. But um, Jean, anything from you on, on the, the Appstar 6D satellite and um, any of the verticals uh, that, it, that it's hmm. dealing with? Well, it, it is interesting that um, with APSTAR 60 today in the air, or, or in space rather, uh, you have this sort of dual offer now in China. You have China SATCOM that's offering K-band and you have China, well, you have APT, uh, APSTAR 60 that offers KU-band to, um, to these um, mobility end users. And um, it's also interesting to note that um, China SATCOM is... Uh, I think a fairly large shareholder of APT, which is a shareholder of yeah. um, APT Satcom, <clears throat> and so they're at the same time they are sort of competitors, but they are also partners because of the shareholding structure. But because also they don't have exactly the same offer. One is KU band, and the other one is KU band. Um, but it's yeah. worth noting, and you, you alluded to a little bit to that, is that when you look at the alliances that they form, you seem to have two ecosystems that don't really um, overlap. You have as you mentioned, APC, uh, APT 60, uh, AP Star, sorry, 60, that had Panasonic as an anchor um, customer. You had GoGo. Um, we know that Global Eagle in China is also using KU Band, although that was before this year, so it's probably not this satellite, but it could be APT or AsiaSat or just another um, KU Band provider. Um, you also, um, on the other hand, you have um, China Satcom that signed an agreement, I believe, last year with Viasat, and they're also working regarding mm-hmm. flight connectivity with um, local local <clears throat> IFC providers. So you have these two ecosystems, and if we are to call a spade a spade, it is um, it is some sort of um, friendly competition, if you if you will. Yeah, and I think one one thing that you alluded to that's an interesting question that we've been asking in China now for a what feels like a very long time, at least like three or four years, is you know when are they going to uh, deregulate or open up the in-flight connectivity market? Because if I think about, um, for example, when I go back to the U.S. now compared to going back to the U.S. five years ago, and I, and I fly domestically, it's like it's it's not it might not be free broadband, but it, it's basically it, it's infinitely better than it would have been five years ago. And on trans-Pacific flights as well, depending on the airline, but most airlines. Um, there's been a huge improvement over the last five years. And then you go onto an airplane in China and, and there's just no connectivity. And it, it's like, mm. oh, this, this feels kind of like, it's, it's like the pre, pre-connectivity age of air travel. This is uh, like, you know, mid-2010s mid, mid for, for uh, yeah. So um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And, and it'll be interesting to see whether the, um, again, the, the coming online of this satellite and the uncertainty surrounding the service providers that were meant to be using some of this capacity uh, whether that ends up spurring any kind of um, movement within China, I, I don't know. But it's certainly um, it's but, a big yeah, market. A lot of people the, fly in, in China. Is it? Yeah. The, there's a lot of potential growth. You have something between 3,000 and 4,000 aircraft, commercial aircraft today in China. But you have, in terms of connectivity, mm-hmm. maybe 200 aircraft that are connected. That's what? That's 5%, 7%. That is infinitely uh, lower compared to to the U.S. market and even even the European market. So a lot of potential growth um, for AP Star 60. Yes, yeah. And um, I guess on the topic of, of air travel in China and the topic, I guess, of, um, of, of uh, 
things coming back to normal as, as it were. So we, we have some some conference updates to round out the week uh, because there are actually in-person conferences going on right now in, in China. So we have uh, later this month, there is the, the China Satellite Conference, uh, which has been going on for now more than 20 years. It's a very, um, it's, it's, I think, probably one of the few conferences that I've attended in China that is not really affiliated with any major state-owned enterprise or research institute or government. Uh, and, you know, it's basically it's, it's uh, put on by a, a media, a sort of satellite and space media company and a couple of other kind of affiliated companies. And then I do think that some state-owned companies are involved as like, you know, kind of minor sponsors or this kind of thing. Um, but there's the, yeah, so the China Satellite Conference in Beijing uh, is coming up at the end of this month. And I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of that will be broadcast online also. Um, and then we also have the, the China Commercial Aerospace Forum, which is uh, in Wuhan coming up on the 19th and 20th. So next week. And uh, that's, John, have you attended the, the one in Wuhan or, or only you did the, the one in Changsha, the China Space Day only? You went to the yeah, Wuhan. no, mostly China Space Day. Okay. Haven't had the opportunity okay. for Wuhan. Okay, yeah, but it's, yeah, um, it's yeah. it's it's interesting to see how things are are going back to normal in China. I have another nice figure going back to air travel, which is uh, so the CAAC, the the Chinese uh, Aviation Civil Authorities, they announced that there were um, well flights in the first week of October, just so during the national holiday in China, uh, were ninety ninety one percent of um, the flights at the same period last year. So that's almost a full recovery um, during the peak season. Mm. So. That is that is definitely very impressive. I'm, I believe that in in the U.S. and in, in in Europe we're probably around something like forty to fifty percent. Um, so I guess there are a lot of envious airlines right now in in Europe or, yeah. or in the U.S. And that that makes sense. I've noticed on my my WeChat moments last week. It seems like everybody went to Hainan, which is sort of like the the Hawaii of China. It's this island off the the southern coast that's. Uh, it's it's sort of had its ups and downs in terms of tourism numbers, I think. But now this year, about I, I bet you that during Golden Week we will look at, at Hainan arrivals and, and see that it was up like two hundred percent compared to last year. It seems everybody was in Hainan this year because people just wanted to get out of of kind of the the uh, well, I guess just get out. And you had the, you had the anyway, same thing. Yeah, not to go into a rabbit hole, but you had also a phenomenon that they call uh, revenge shopping. So people just had you know. <laughs> Had suffered a little bit during coronavirus and just went on a, a shopping spree during this uh, the past week. So that was found that kind of interesting. So revenge shopping and uh, and we have a couple of conferences coming up and then a one space round of funding and AppStar 6D reaching orbit. So that is uh, that is your China uh, aerospace news roundup for the week of October fifth to eleventh. Uh, unless John, anything else from your side, or are we good to go? All good. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week uh, on the Dongfang Hour. Uh, see you soon. Bye-bye.